Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's happening all across the country. Oh my goodness, this is the wrong script. Uh, public health officials and anti-vaping pressure groups and the tobacco control mafia, but I repeat myself, refuse to recognize they have pushed past the limits of sanity in a deranged effort to prevent teens from vaping. Anti-vaping crusaders are advocating for policies that they know would destroy adult access to vaping products, force millions of vapors back to smoking, and cause needless suffering, illness, and death. But they don't seem to care. Nobody knows more about this deranged anti-vaping <coughs> syndrome than Jim McDonald from Vaping360.com. He is the intrepid reporter there, news editor, and over the past three and a half years, he's uh, filed over 400 stories on the battle to ban the vape. Jim, thanks for joining us today on RegWatch. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Well, as always, things are crazy here and they're crazy for vaping altogether. I want us to jump in. There's so much for us to talk about. Our, our list is long, as we both know. Um, let's start with, you know, pressing issues around vaping bans. How many states are there right now currently with a ban of some sort in place? And what's the developments in terms of the efforts to stop those bans from happening? Yeah. Well, there are seven states that have a flavor ban or an outright ban on vapor products. And then there are some others that are fooling around with it. Um, of the seven, which are New York, Michigan, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Montana, Oregon, and Washington, um, all of them have had a lawsuit challenging the state. And five of them are on hold right now, either with injunctions or temporary restraining orders. Um, I believe New York still hasn't had a hearing on their injunction on an injunction. Um, in Michigan, the governor is appealing to the Supreme Court, appealing the injunction to the Supreme Court. In uh, mass, they're going through this redoing the ban as an emergency uh, thing according to the rules and it looks like they're gonna be able to put it back in place, but I'm not sure. Uh, Montana has a hearing tomorrow on an injunction and um, Oregon has a stay on the ban temporarily until they go to court. And um, there's a weird one in Utah. They have a very strange set of rules for, for vape shops. Um, anyway, they, they passed an emergency uh, restriction on flavors to put them only in adults only tobacco shops but um, a lawsuit that was successful yesterday um, got that overturned so the reason being in Utah they have a limitation on the number of tobacco shops which like a, a vape shop would be a tobacco shop based on zoning um, so a lot of vape shops instead added additional merchandise to their array of products so that they could be classified as general retail. So they're the ones who got banned from selling flavors, but they went to court and got it overturned. So it looks good there. Now, did you mention Illinois? If you were uh, tweet me today about Illinois. And yeah, Illinois, I don't, I, I haven't had time today to look into it. It looks to me like they changed the bill at the last minute and had a hearing on a whole new bill this morning and there's like 
a limited amount of time for uh, people to get in their witness slips to the state to be able to testify. But I believe that a lot of them did. And I'm not sure what's happened since then. Um, I apologize for that. I had a, um, a reader contact me this morning about it, and I just was never able to get to it. Well, I think that uh, it's pretty important for us to give some context here. I don't think there's another reporter. Well, there certainly isn't. I mean, there's some good reporters and some other rags and stuff like that that are also friends of RegWatch, but you consistently have every story, Matt, just so everybody knows and understands how it works in television, how, how media works generally. Okay. Radio gets a story locally. Newspaper rips it off from the radio and then online's ripping off from newspapers. And then you got the media, the TV guys, and we rip it off from everybody. Right. And I mean, I use that colloquially that term, but that's the thing. It's just pretty much the way it is. So we, I mean, I can't tell you how often I've had to go to your reporting um, as source material to help us get the facts straight. And they're always straight, Jim. You're yeah. just so, you're so darn good. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Now, a lot of what I do is just aggregate news from other sources. Um, but I don't do it until I double check that the stuff's right. So. I don't just make things up, that's for sure. That's probably the best thing you can say about my writing. So you're not CNN? Uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> All right, so look, let's, uh, let, thanks. I'm, we're gonna get to more of the bands, I, I'm, I'm certain. And as we were talking about the other issues, the bands just keep coming up. But let's pop over to vaping360.com uh, for those people who have no idea what we're talking about. You're crazy, you need to get over here. It's a great site. Um, and, you know, as you say in the banners, the site says 40 million smokers and vaping enthusiasts reached since 2015. They're global, based out of Europe, right, Germany, uh, sure. and then obviously with a you know, huge presence in the U.S. And uh, if you think about the standard vaping stuff and fair, if, you know, as you're looking to be an enthusiast, on the news side, though, that's why I, I'm here lots. And uh, you can, you know, we just click news and we just start seeing some of the stuff that, that Jim has got up here we'll we'll talk about these um issues today as well as some stuff that's not actually fully on here uh this judge temporarily halts two more flavor bands i think you just mentioned this what is this again yeah i believe that was montana and oregon mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's Which... correct yeah well that's i mean that's uh that's decent news i mean the you know, all of this is just such a problem for the industry because it just disrupts everything. And uh, but, you know, some wins are good. We're back in business. So Michigan uh, and you mentioned this briefly. Yeah, well, that was I, I don't know the date. That was a couple of weeks ago. That was uh, an injunction granted to Mark Sliss at 906 Vapor, which is a store way up in the Upper Peninsula. So when Mark had to testify in Detroit on that injunction hearing, he had to drive 600 miles, all in Michigan, but you know, 600 miles away. And you're, um, a, you're a Michigan native, right? I am, I'm from Flint. Okay, oh, well, from Flint. So was it the water that made people it's go the crazy? Water. It's the water. Well, that, I do have a serious question about this. Why in Michigan? Why? Why the water? No, why, oh. <laughs> why the crazy lunatic 
I won't use the P well. word. I won't use the P word very much if I possibly can during this uh, show today in deference to the fact that you are. So let's talk about that briefly here. Governor Whitmer was the most conservative of the three Democratic candidates in the primary last year. Mm -hmm. There was one actual true progressive who did not get the nomination. Whitmer is a very middle of the road Clinton-esque Democrat. There's nothing wildly left-wing about her. Um, however, I think she wanted to make a name for herself within the party. She saw this easy issue that was like, you know, it looks like a slam dunk to a politician. You've got all these, you know, crazy uh, suburban parents, you know, all up in arms about this. And then you've got you know, a bunch of dirty ex-smokers on the other side, it, it looks like an easy win. And, you know, we're never, we're making it pretty hard for her. A quick, uh, a quick, easy way to uh, make some social capital. Absolutely. Do you think then that maybe some of these loudest, uh, I mean, it's a preening kind of a thing. I there's a, a social preening of some sort. Uh, you know, her, the way that she, she acted and how she spoke and her affect the day that she dropped this, and she was the first one. We're talking about the day after Labor Day. So they were working on it right at the end of summer. I mean, this was a, a calculated, targeted uh, a ban oh. that she yeah. had to have had support from. I mean, Truth, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, Oh, it's all the all the all the stuff out of the governor's office on this is just copy pasted from tobacco free kids. It's just the it's the worst kind of simplistic big tobacco versus children stuff. And you that's know? all it, that's all it really is, isn't it? That's that's all it is. And that's if they don't have that, they don't have an argument and they don't really have an argument. So um, the, the, what do you mean the, by that, Jim? Well, I mean, if, if you can't say that it's big tobacco versus children or something equally simplistic white, then it becomes a, a pretty nuanced argument. Like what the judge heard at, in the injunction hearing was not so easy to figure out. So, I mean, she granted the injunction saying that the, the vapor businesses have a, like, a high likelihood of winning because it looks like they'll prove their case and their cases there was no emergency because the state knew about the emergency over a year before it declared an emergency and that's it's just a fact and i don't know how they're going to get around that yeah and they can't uh rely on the lung illness much longer can they well, the Michigan, Michigan, they didn't rely on that. They totally based it on the epidemic of adolescent vaping. Right. So they, that was smart on their part. If they had hung in on the lung illness, it would be much harder. And some of the other states have done that. Yeah, and regardless of whether or not they put it actually in the executive order, you know, legally as a justification, it was tied to the whole you know, public panic well, yeah. around it. So I think, yeah, definitely. I mean, I do did notice that out of Michigan is like they used it in the PR, but were very specific to make sure that it wasn't a part of the legal justification. That's right. Yeah. Now in Massachusetts and Oregon, they 
they hung it completely on the lung illnesses. Uh, maybe that was a large part of the justification. And in Oregon, the injunction just threw out the nicotine half of the ban. It left the ban on flavored and adulterated cannabis oil in place. Right, 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 right. I'm just checking right now here to make sure that uh, we're having no problems with uh, our stream. And I'm just going to do that and looking to see here how our fine kids are going to get some feedback, uh, video feedback here. Uh, CDC sucks. Uh, that's that I can agree with. Uh, if it wasn't for the CDC, the American flavor bans would not be lifted. What? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I understand that one, though. No. Uh, all right. Good, good, good work. Oh, it looks like uh, we're competing with Dimmy right now. Uh oh. Yeah, that's uh, that's unplanned and a bad strategy on my part. But all right. So, yeah, let's get into this. Let's let's get into this. I mean, how vicious have uh, the tobacco uh, anti-vaping mafia being here? I mean, obviously it's coordinated. I've heard. I've heard. You know, the bands. You mean? Yeah, the bands and just everything. I mean, right. Let's hold. Let's. I just want to throw this out just as an overall question before we jump into the CDC and and, and talk about what they're specifically doing. But we had Michelle Minton on back in January of this year with a yeah. bombshell story, uh, which we, we titled Collusion. And yeah. it was about her great report that she had. So, you know, she clearly was li linking the ties uh, yeah. on state and federal level. What did you think of that? How is that operating in, in, in this process? We Things come at vapor so fast and there is literally, there can't be a quicker moving story than this one that I could see. Um, and it's hard to maintain a even keel with it, but it was just January <laughs> that, yeah. you know, we were having this conversation. It, it was only uh, 13 months ago that uh, is when the epidemic of teen vaping was announced and that was contrived. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all coordinated out of the same offices. So, I mean, I, you know, I... Even before Michelle Mitten's report, um, I talk a lot, several times a week with Amelia Howard, who has, you know, done much of the same research as part of her dissertation. And you can just, you can see the messaging uh, evolve over time. And it it goes from one organization, they, they all come out with the same thing at the same time. So. It's very clearly coming from a few central locations. And, you know, it's Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids. It's the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's uh, the uh, American Heart Association. And these are the people, and by the way, these people are all on each other's boards. <laughs> They're not, it's not even a secret. They just get together and come up with it. and. They've been managing the messaging on anti-smoking stuff for 20 years. Vaping just naturally fell into that. I'll just so, point out also that they've been calling vaping a big tobacco conspiracy for 
five years before Big Tobacco ever owned a vaping product. That's right. It, when you go back and you look at the materials, even when RegWatch first started, you know, uh, reporting on this issue, and then mm -hmm. so that was in 2015, and so we've been on it now four years, and and so at that time I was going back, basically to 2012, digging back yeah. into 2010, reading the stuff in 2009 and early 2000s on secondhand smoke and stuff like that, back to the MSA, and you know it it's just. It, the second vaping came out, they tried to shoehorn it into the smoking narrative. Um, and when you go back and look at the old legal documents and everything else, you can see that happening. Well, and they yeah. are a language bunch. So there's there's some um, precise terms that I could use as a political science student that would be inflammatory. So I won't. But... <laughs> But they routinely uh, call black, white, white and black. That's what they do, right? They, they malign language. And I mean, they use language as a tool, as a weapon. And, you know, much like it's done in other areas of our culture. But again, I don't need to get into that. But well, you, know, you know what they do? What they do is they use all the exact same tricks that the tobacco companies actually used in the 70s and 80s. They use all the same stuff. They manufacture doubt. They they make you wonder, oh, you know, that flavor thing. That makes sense. Right. They say things they say things as though it's just, you know, it's received knowledge. Of course it's true. It has to be true. Um, and they expect everybody to go along with it, and most people do because they don't really care about the issue. So I often wonder whether or not if these tobacco control Nazis hate big tobacco because they're right wing. I don't know. That's kind of how they paint them, but I, I don't really know. I mean, tobacco people are all from the South, <laughs> you know, I mean, well, tobacco's from the South. But a lot of the, a lot of the tobacco control people, certainly the first wave of tobacco control people were right wing themselves. Like Bill Novelli from truth initiative was an advertising guy who supported Nixon, supported um, Reagan, supported, you know, he was not a left winger by any means. I think he's still around. Sure, sure. I, I think the point, and I will use the P word, I think it's progressive. It's not a left-right issue, and there's progressives on both sides of left and right, mm. right? You can be a progressive right winger, and you can be a progressive left winger, right? So it's not a matter of actual pure lefty. I think some pure lefties out there probably are aghast at what's going on. For one, a lot of them smoke or did smoke, and most yeah. of them, you know, are quite happy being left alone to put stuff in their body. Um, yeah. You know, it's you got to really be a nanny stater, you know, uh, kind of a person, which is, you know, the administrative state kind of progressive. But yeah, I, I don't see any. I don't think to me, I'm you know, as somebody on the left, I don't see any like natural reason that people on the left should embrace the kind of top-down control that tobacco control people want for public health. I don't see that it's a natural connection. And I hate to see like Democrats writ large accepting that as though we're just, that's the way it is. That's what we do. How, uh, do, you, how do you explain 13 senators all from the Democratic side badgering the FDA with letter after letter after letter after letter after letter after letter? How do you, well, how do somebody who's got insight and been covering this? I'm not, I'm not making excuses for them. I'm saying I hate to see it. 
Right. I, 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 don't, I don't have a good explanation for it, except that there are a couple, well, first of all, the ones who've been around for a while were part of the tobacco wars. You know, people like Durbin and Schumer and Blumenthal were actually around for the master settlement. They've been around for a long time. A lot of them were in on negotiations for the Tobacco Control Act. Um, by the way, we should mention for people who aren't, you know, really uh, experts on this or want to know more, that the Master Settlement Agreement, which was 1998, I believe. Yes. Matthew Myers from to Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, which didn't exist at the time, was brought in to help negotiate that. And he was friends with Mitch Zeller, who at the time, I'm not even going to tell you where they all worked at the time because I'll get it mixed up. And then 10 years later, or um, yeah, a little under 10 years later, Matthew Myers wrote the Tobacco Control Act along with lawyers from Philip Morris, Altria. Um, this is a guy who has more power in Washington than just about anybody in the health field. Um, to me, it looks like public health has been captured by tobacco control in Washington. That's a pretty strong statement. There is certainly enough money uh, involved to make that happen. Would you not agree? Uh, there's a lot of money, and but I think a lot of it just comes from personal power accrued by Myers through the work he's done over the 20 years and the connections he has. Right. Again, he and Mitch Zeller have been together doing stuff in the tobacco space for over 20 years. So there is truly a tobacco control mafia. It, it is, there is, and Matthew Myers is the Don. I guess Zeller is, I don't know what Zeller, I guess he's Santino. So they are the, so, so there is a, just, just so I can tweak you for sure and a good three quarters of my audience, right? So you're telling me there's a tobacco controlled deep state. Yeah, I would never say that. But, but know. that's what it is. It's yeah. deep straight is administrative. Well, it's the thing is, it's not that deep. It's right. Anybody can see it if they just look. Uh, well, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with the security side of it, too, pretty much. I mean, I, if you read Michelle Minton's uh, report, which I, if it's, we're talking about the same one, it's like 40 or 50 pages long. Yeah, that's right. Uh, she spells it all out. All the connections are right there and you can just draw lines between them. Right. Well, and you can find that on our website. Just search for collusion uh, oh, cool. and it'll it'll pop up. It was a great video. Michelle's awesome. We actually had her live on the day President Trump announced his wonderful piece of potential action that he's going to take. So let's um, let's dive, keep going here on on the kind of the nitty gritty on CDC. I'm happy that we brought up we got into some of the politics side of this right now, because very few people out there have, an, you know, an idea of how to comment other p guests that we've had on who may have a position. They are uh, invested in one side of the advocacy debate or, you know, either way, or they're going to be facing government or they do have to face government and negotiate. So they're, they're able to give some comments, but they aren't able to kind of go over too far. Um, uh -huh. 
I'll any, go too far. Yeah, well, that's what I'm hoping. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kind of sliding. I'm sliding you there. Not yeah. nudging. I don't want to use nudge because that's nanny state, nudging, right? Well, nudging, nudging is what the nice nannies do. Right. Because there, if this was anything, it's definitely not nudging. We're talking about yanking people's liberty from them, ripping their liberty from them, and forcing them in agony to make a decision on whether or not to go back to smoking. It is disgusting. How can public health be doing this? Which thing are you talking about? I'm talking about, in general, 100%. Across the board, there there isn't. I mean, whether it's the public no, health agencies, a, they 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 want you to think that it's who would you rather sacrifice a bunch of smokers, or children. That's how they do it. They say we just we we would like you to be able to not smoke, but it's so much more important that we don't addict a generation to nicotine. So that's why, that's why, nic why nicotine, Jim? Well, because that's the, that's the only thing in vaping they can find to definitely put their finger on that has some effect. So you, you notice that there was never any discussion of nicotine when it was just anti-smoking. Nobody cared about nicotine. Give me a break. It's, it's nothing. It's the, but nicotine has been built up since the Tobacco Control Act, since the FDA Center for Tobacco Products began in 2009, and which is the same time that the FDA was seizing vaping products coming over from China and saying they were unregulated drug delivery devices. As soon as the, as the Center for Tobacco Products formed, they shifted, and of course they lost in court to Enjoy, to Soterra. They... Um, shifted to regulating as a tobacco product. And that's when nicotine became a thing because there was just nothing else they could put their finger on to, to I think, to slam vaping over. Yeah, and I, I think actually even more than just vaping, I think that actually it, it became, when they, when they got to the position uh, in their battle with tobacco, big tobacco, there became a moment that it became clear that the tobacco control, sorry, that the companies willing to lie, on, you know, under oath about the addictive nature of nicotine, that opened that door for them. They were pushing for that door to open. They saw that as a way that they'd be able to achieve what they wanted to achieve, which was to, to, well, they're a mafia, right? So, you know, they, yeah. had, they had to get control of, of tobacco. And so they did that with the nicotine because I don't even, I, I, they did some demonization of nicotine in the 1980s and stuff like that. But it really, as you said, it, even when it came to, you know, all the stop smoking messages and stuff had nothing to do with nicotine. I mean, it didn't take off until vaping. And you'll notice that the, the whole thing about the, you know, nicotine damaging uh, adolescent brain development. That's very recent. Um, I, I, I looked into this once. I'm going to muff it if I were to try to guess, but it seems to me that it was about 2014 that I first started seeing that mentioned. Mm -hmm. Those studies have been around for a long time. 
the studies that show adolescent rats have their brain development, you know, affected by, by nicotine. They're just silly studies. There's, there's also studies that show adolescent rats have the same effect from caffeine, from um, THC, and from any other substance. And the idea that nicotine rewires your brain. Everything that you do rewires your brain. If you play the trumpet, that rewires your brain. If you walk down the steps every day and back up the steps every day, that rewires your brain. If you take a course in gender studies, that rewires your brain. Sure. Uh, okay, so uh, our viewers have to understand. You and I have not done a show together, so I I, I think we're this is going to be a, we're going to have some time to chat, right? Because you are definitely one of the most knowledgeable guys. So you just mentioned something that I have prepped from a couple of days ago that I was going to pull out in the very first opportunity of a live stream. You've done that. I can't believe that. So because this is totally obscure but you actually just heat it up. So talking about campaign for tobacco-free kids, talking yeah. about uh, nicotine, I still have to find this nicotine thing here, but here we go. This is, uh, and let me just make sure you can see it. Good. And this mm -hmm. is uh, United States District Court. This was tobacco, uh, tobacco campaign for tobacco-free kids action against Philip Morris USA. This was filed in 2016 is when it was finished. So I'm not sure. I think this took like five, six years or something. No, more than 15 years. So more than 15 years ago, the United States filed this RICO action against the major cigarette manufacturers operating in 1999. In 2006, right. after years of discovery, pretrial litigation, and a nine-month bench trial, this court issued an opinion containing over 4,000 findings of fact and concluding that the government had proven by overwhelming evidence that the defendants had maintained an illegal racketeering enterprise in violation of the Racketeering Influenced and Corruption Organization Act, RICO. And then, so it took 15 years. Thereafter, in 2009, the Court of Appeals affirmed the greater part of the district court's remedy, remedial order. Okay, so this is, so basically there was a bunch of back and forth that was happening here. The the after it kind of got through to a certain stage, the um, lawyers for the tobacco industry won some concessions, gained some leverage. Of course, this was already after the mass, master settle agreement. So these you know people have some balls on them to go after you know in a RICO case when still in the in the tobacco industry is forking over billions of dollars and they're and they're going for more. Yeah, you know that's but that's the mafia, right? That's just the way they work. I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that case. I mean, I, I know of it, but I, I can't speak about it. Sure, very. no, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm just, I'm throwing it out there. It's my job here. I'm doing my reporting. Is that the one that forced the tobacco companies to make statements? That's what, that's what we're doing right now. As we go right back here, so this is exactly it. That's the so they back and forth. The tobacco companies won some concessions in terms of. Being able to, you know, get some of the statements, uh, you know, a little bit better for them. But in the end, the whole point about this whole thing for tobacco control was to force these tobacco companies into making these statements and agreeing to them. So, the, and this is, you know, by law on the record. And this is it. A, adverse health effects of smoking. A federal court has ordered Altria, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco, Lorillard, and Philip Morris USA to make this statement 
about the health effects of smoking. Here is the truth. Smoking kills, on average, 1,200 Americans every day. More people die every year from smoking than from murder, AIDS, suicide, drugs, car crashes, and alcohol combined. Smoking causes heart disease, emphysema, acute, I can't pronounce that, uh, myeloid. Myeloid leukemia. Yeah. And cancer of the mouth, esophagus, larynx, lung, stomach, kidney, bladder, and pancreas. Hmm. Smoking also causes reduced fertility, low birth weight, newborns, and cancer of the cervix. That is the truth, which they forced the tobacco industry to state. So this being the stated facts, all cigarettes do this, right? Now, okay, so before we continue on... They forgot, uh, they forgot yellow teeth and wrinkles. Yeah, well, so... So the key thing about this, and every vapor should understand this, is that, is that this is the kind of thing, I'm going to put my advocacy hat on for a second, news cap off. This is the opinion side of Regwatch. Not advocacy, it should, should be more opinion. But I challenge uh, those who are in favor of vaping to take that kind of stuff and be banging away at the media with that. That's the things... It is so deadly clear how deadly cigarettes are, proven in court, driven by anti-tobacco forces. That's it. Like, so they, in all of the research, it's only may, may give you, a, vaping may give you a headache. Flavors may contribute to potentially, you know, there is not a single statement that is unequivocal. Uh, when it comes to health effects of vaping, if it's in the negative, if it's in the positive, there's plenty. We know that it's less harmful than smoking. How less? Almost totally less. Okay. Well, how harmful is smoking? Remind you again, here's the U.S. You know, court, district court. Here, this, let us remind you. So it's just uh, maddening that this isn't being beat over the head. This should be, and every politician should have. There, there's no statements for vaping that match this. Now, addicted, addictiveness of smoking and nicotine. So this is the next thing they got. These are the things they got out of their RICO, right? And that was a federal court has ordered Altria, R.J. Reynolds, Tobacco, Loyalard, and Philip Morris USA to make this statement about the addictiveness of smoking and nicotine. Here is the truth. Unfortunately, it's just you should be recoiling when you hear the truth, you know, when, when the court is defining the truth. But I'm okay with it. Smoking is highly addictive. Fair enough. Nicotine is the addictive drug in tobacco. Fair enough. Cigarette companies intentionally designed cigarettes with enough nicotine to create and sustain addiction. Oh, okay. I guess. I don't know I think, if you... I think they got lucky. Yeah. Well... I, I... I think they got lucky and then it was a formula. They maintained it. Yeah. It's, it would be like saying, uh, it'd be like seeing the cannabis industry pre legalization when they grow a plant and, you know, you snip off the bud and you dry it and roll it up that you've purposefully engineered and designed it to be higher THC. Potentially if you're doing cloning and, and hydroponics and then using 
things yeah. I don't yeah, I don't know about. But cigarettes have been made basically the same way since 1880, and I don't think anybody was doing studies on the addictiveness of nicotine before they invented the rolling machine. So right now, I mean, sugar. I mean, if you're a legal product, and the thing that's the ingredient in it that is something that is what is being desired, right? And you improve that product. There's nothing malicious there. Well, now, there, there are some examples of the tobacco companies doing stuff to make cigarettes more addictive. They did add various flavoring elements to them. Now, I'm not talking about characterizing flavors, but background flavors to make them more palatable. The cigarette tobacco is cured in different ways than cigar or pipe tobacco, so it can be inhaled deeply. And in the 50s, or maybe it was the it might have been the early 60s, uh, Philip Morris started adding ammonia to Marlboro cigarettes, which really hypes the, the delivery to the brain. So they did do stuff to make cigarettes more addictive. But I think and, they were already addictive. Well, I think they were already addictive. And let, let me just say that. God bless them for improving their product. <laughs> I want all products that are legal to be constantly going under improvement. So I know that the big frustration here is that you're banning vaping in a, a maniacal, total public panic that is just beyond all proportions, and yet yeah. cigarettes are legal. And I mean, it just it, the, the dissonance there is just beyond belief. Like, I mean, it just makes you want to throw up. Well, cigarettes are legal by law. So the Tobacco Control Act, grandfather cigarettes they are unless congress changes the tobacco control act cigarettes are going to be around forever yeah yeah and a lot and there looks like they're going to have a lot more business too so let's just let's go back to this it's not uh so addicted addictiveness of smoking and nicotine again these are the statements that after a 15-year legal process uh a battle campaign for tobacco free kids and and the uh, pressure groups forced through the RICO uh, to have the industry admit this and that it's not easy to quit. Fair enough, right? The, it's not easy. See, all of these points that are being made here, I've gone through like these 4,000 points of fact um, are in this other document that I have here, which is the statement of facts. And you can just see them methodically going through. They need this, it's not easy to quit because they actually make the argument about smoking, that people have lost their agency. They yeah. smoke. Smoking is so powerful. The addiction is so overwhelming that people can't possibly quit, even if they wanted to, and they've lost their agency. That mild and natural. And the, the here's the truth. And what's so funny about this is that it was tobacco control that forced the industry into the lights and low tars with you know harassment and 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 everything else and it well, turned out turn, turned out to, yeah, you don't agree with that no i mean i i do somewhat but the they they tobacco control people pretend that they were tricked ah. we were tricked into thinking and that's what harm reduction is it's a trick as though low tar cigarettes were harm reduction so i mean so i started smoking in 1974 
And I remember the early low-tar cigarettes, which had holes in the filters so that, you know, if you if your lips were right at the edge of the filter and you inhaled it, some of the smoke came out. You didn't get all the tar. Mm-hmm. And you know how the tobacco companies the products, they use smoking machines that grabbed the filters and left the holes exposed so that a lot of smoke was coming out of the holes and the, you know, it, it registered at a lower tar level than it would have otherwise. And the tobacco control people want to claim that they were fooled by that. Yeah. And, and obviously, so what I'm I'm saying is smokers in 1974, even 15 year old ones like me were not fooled. Right. We moved our lips up farther on the filter and inhaled it. And the and the, the consequence of that, which was an unintended consequence, and it's been established, was that the fact that smokers would then draw more deeply to try to get the nicotine. And that was causing, you know, increased, you know, cancer risk uh, and lung disease risk from sure. having to do that. And so that was an unintended consequence. And that's one of the reasons why they had to, you know, react the way they did because they can never admit if you are predisposed to uh, being, you know, trying to make a better person and making these laws and rules, you'll never admit when you've done something wrong. That's why CDC will never admit that they've done something wrong here because you can't do that. You know, one of the worst things about what's been going on a year ago when then Commissioner Scott Gottlieb came out with the grand strategy to create a almost no nicotine level addicted cigarette. So because they can't get rid of cigarettes. Yeah. Right. So they're just going to. You can't eliminate the nicotine, but you can reduce it. They can reduce it to the point where it's not addictive. Well, so, but knowing what we've learned with these other efforts, right, that would mean there's smokers out there smoking a cigarette with almost no nicotine. Why would they not be inhaling it harder? Why would not? They would, would, but the, you know, they have, they have, uh, they have clinical tests that show that people claim to show that people don't do that or that people quit. So the theory is if, if you mandated low nicotine cigarettes, that people who like wanted to continue using nicotine would migrate to other low risk products. In other words, very low nicotine uh, content cigarettes, they're called BLNC for very low nicotine content, would, um, would be a product forced on the market that nobody would want and people would switch to other things instead. And there is actually a company, a publicly traded company that has a modified risk application into the FDA for VLNC cigarettes. That's 22nd century, the company. Um, So Light, light, low-tar cigarettes and light cigarettes were a trick by the tobacco companies, but these ultra-low tar and nicotine cigarettes, not tar, I'm sorry, ultra-low nicotine cigarettes are a tobacco control trick, and it's just ridiculous. It's maddening. That's, uh, there's no doubt it's maddening. Uh, okay, so just jumping quickly because I want to make sure that we finish this off because we did end up getting here. Uh, 
so the other one's statements of fact that uh, they forced the industry to make was that they obviously, again, some more about the manipulation. Now, the adverse health effects of exposure to secondhand smoke, they really needed this because they knew what we didn't at the time was that the vast majority of the research on secondhand smoke is garbage. And it's the secondhand smoke that allowed them to really remove the liberties for people uh, to smoke. Adverse health effects to exposure to secondhand smoke. And that here is the truth. Secondhand smoke kills over 38,000 Americans each year. Secondhand smoke causes lung cancer and coronary heart disease in adults who smoke, who do not smoke. And then children exposed to secondhand smoke are at an increased risk for sudden infant death syndrome, acute respiratory infections, ear problems, severe asthma, and reduced lung function. And there are no safe level of exposure to secondhand smoke. What do mm -hmm. we know about that? Because that's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true, but I can't quote you the, I can't quote stuff to you by, you know, from heart on that. I just don't know it that well. I, there's one interesting thing on that page that you were just showing that I think is worth pointing out. Go back up a little bit. Here we go. The federal court ordered Altria R.J. Reynolds, Laurelard, and Philip Morris USA to make the statement. By the time this case was settled, Laurelard had been bought by R.J. Reynolds, and R.J. Reynolds had been bought by British American Tobacco. And uh, that's all because of the Tobacco Control Act, which forced the companies to consolidate and the two big American companies, Reynolds and Altria, to just take over everything. The reason they're happy to sign on to stuff like this, I mean, screw it, they're in control. They have a, a, a duopoly within the United States that just can't be beat. They'll sign anything, they don't care. They've only gotten more powerful and more rich since the Tobacco Control Act. Well, and isn't that generally the case? You yeah. Know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if it's done right, if it's done right, the corporations, uh, they all, you know, it's funny. Yeah, I'm going to say this from the left of the left issue, okay? The left always says, they use this term when it comes to regulations, they call it, you know, regulatory capture. And that's the, ooh, the regulatory agency gets captured by the corporations that they're regulating. And ooh, and the money comes in and everything else. No, regulatory capture is literally when the agency and the regulatory infrastructure captures the corporation and they work together <laughs> in a symbiotic well, relationship. There's, there's a word for, for corporations and the government working together. Yes, it's called to, fascism. Yeah, that's correct. Um, but when you have one of the two major tobacco companies advocating for and writing the legislation to regulate itself, the other one, by the way, Reynolds objected to it. They did not advocate for it. But once they got into it, I don't think they complained too much. Um, it's an incredible thing. So let's jump over, um, Jim, to the next bit on our list. And I hope everybody out there is enjoying themselves as we like venture on into 
big, huge, long conversation. I was looking for Matt Myers there. Before we uh, totally do that, let's just take a quick moment and pop over to our regulatorwatch.com, actually our support.regulatorwatch.com website and encourage all of you guys out there. I know it's tough for everybody out there. The industry's hurt. RegWatch needs your help though too, because we can't produce this content without your help. And there's more that we can do, and we definitely can do that. We just need your support. So please head over to support.regulatorwatch.com and consider a one-time donation or monthly contribution. And let's just uh, give a shout out here to some fantastic people. I've still got to get uh, the individual uh, people who have helped out and contributed uh, onto the page. So again, this episode is uh, brought to you by Flavor Art, which without Flavor Art and Sean Casey, we wouldn't be around at all. And this is four years now. And it just, it breaks my heart. He, I mean, his company makes the flavors. And every time we're talking flavor ban, and I mean, it's just brutal. I mean, they're flavors. How can they be evil? <laughs> That's all I could say. And of course, some of our other uh, great supporters here, also on the Canadian side, as some of our US uh, viewers won't know these companies, but Stealth and Premium Labs, fantastic. And then our monthly rock stars, and we've got a couple of new ones, but again, Flavor Crafters, long time been with, uh, with us. Wendy from Stinky Canucks, Starlight Vapor, VapeMe.net, New Beginnings, uh, they're out of uh, Eastern Canada, uh, just from out of nowhere. You know, I got to hang out with people from the Eastern Canada more. Uh, Valhan Vapes, Vape Nation just came on. Brent Perry, he's been a supporter over the years and called up a couple of days ago and says, how can I help? And that's the kind of conversation we need. And Sean over at Creative Clouds. And then, oh, and Tim from Troposphere in the U.S. Fantastic. And so these guys are Great companies that have been with us and the, our past supporters. So please do consider going to support.regulatorwatch.com and kicking in a few bucks. You know, we'll get you up on our monthly rock stars here for 100 bucks a month. And if you can kick in more around 250, 500, we'll get you in one of the videos as one of our supporters. The monthly support is really the key thing for us right now. Awesome. So, uh, okay. So, Let's just hop into your piece here. It's the first one in the post links I sent you. And so this is a story that Jim has published today, CDC update. And why don't I just let you get on with that? How many people got sick? How many have died so far? What's the update? It's all in the headline. <laughs> <laughs> of course 34 it is. dead, zero answers. Um, I mean, what's... What's going on is the the CDC says that this is might be slowing down or, or leveling off anyway at this point. In the last week, there have only been 125 new cases, which is much, much uh, less than recent weeks. Um, and that's good news. That's true. Um, the CDC is also finally admitting that the vast majority, in the vast majority of cases that they've studied, the victims admit to using THC products. Um, How long that, did that take? Oh, well, Lord, about two months. For two months, there's been uh, these contaminated cart cartridges out there. Yeah. 
and the CDC, is it accurate to say, has sponsored confusion on this issue? They still are. They're still saying that it's e-cigarettes or vaping. So uh, I'm gonna, I wrote this maybe a month ago, and I'm going by memory, but I, I think what I said was, it's pretty simple. People who vape cannabis don't call their product e-cigarettes. Um, so they think everything's okay. And people who vape nicotine are going back to cigarettes because of this messaging. So they're hurting both groups and they're killing one of them. And it's all because of their language. And that all comes from the CDC's Office on Smoking and Health, specifically Brian King. So right before we get there, I just want to make sure that we hammer this home in a definitive way. I'm going to ask you a question and get your answer. So do you believe, based on your reporting, that CDC, by their actions, inactions, or confusing language, has caused some of these deaths? Mm -hmm. You can't tell how many, but beyond the first month, let's say the first month of these stories coming out, I can't believe that if the CDC didn't offer a definitive warning naming the products that are most likely to be causing the problems, that it wouldn't have affected the usage by people. Um, you know, as it is, I understand now that in legal dispensaries, sales of um, THC cartridges is way down. But it's not people buying from legal dispensaries that are getting sick. It's people buying on the street. And that, to, to get through to those people, requires just an absolutely straightforward, no doubt about it, warning, naming the products that are being used. And they haven't done that. And, and I, think they have, I think they haven't done it because they're using this as a wedge to encourage bans on nicotine vaping products which has been a, a long time goal of theirs. So there were ambulance chasing then? <laughs> they might get ambulance chased themselves. I'd like to see some lawsuits come out of this. Well, yes. Okay, so you've just, uh, there's a surprise I've got for you. Uh, and for our viewers, Jim doesn't know about this piece. I was waiting for you to do that. So the lawsuits though, about vaping related lung illness. When we've been thinking about, okay, there should be, you know, class action lawsuits when vapors go back to smoking. I've said, you know, five, 10 years from now when they start getting cancer, there'll be great, you know, uh, uh, lawsuits to file. The problem is, is that, well, the Democrats, which are the ones that have been pushing this whole uh, hysteria, are also the lawyers, the ambulance chasing lawyers are Democrats. I'm sorry, but they are. They give the most money to Democrats. <laughs> I mean, they are. They, the ambulance chasers, the lawyers are Democrats, you know, class action lawsuit lawyers. Right. And the Republicans want tort reform, so the lawyers are never going to support them. So fair enough. Look, I'm, I'm just, we can call the spades a spade on both sides, whatever. <laughs> I carry no water for GOP. I can tell you that right now. And, and I was a de Democratic supporter up until 2016, so my entire adult life. Uh, all right, except for I had that brief moment with Reagan, but that was a Michael J. Fox thing. 
uh, uh. at the time. Now, okay, so let's take let's you you brought up this is something that I saw break last night on Tucker Carlson uh, on Fox. No wonder and, I missed it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And now it's not it's not a it's not a news story. It's a commercial. Oh, so let's let me just play that here one second. You may be entitled to compensation. Call 800-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP. Attention, attention. If you or your child experienced a lung or heart problem, seizure, stroke, or became addicted to nicotine and using a vaping device, you may be entitled to compensation. Call 800-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-HELP-9-
We do know that e-cigarettes do not emit a harmless aerosol. They can include a variety of harmful ingredients, including ingredients that are harmful in terms of pulmonary illness. That said, it's possible that the reported cases could have been occurring before this investigation was even initiated in an event we weren't necessarily capturing then. But now there's increased diligence in terms of the current investigation that we're better able to capture those. So in other words, what Brian King is saying is this has been happening all along with vaping nicotine. We're just now noticing it because there happen to be a few of them in the same place at the same time. So a reporter, this was during a news conference with a reporter, a telephone conference. A reporter said, if I heard you correctly, what you're saying is it's possible this could have been happening all along, but we're just now hearing about it, just now capturing it. It's possible that in the 10 years since vaping has become a big thing, that it may have been happening and you didn't know about it. I just want to know if you could reiterate that to make sure I understand it correctly. They were shocked that he said that. Here's his answer. Yes. So there's a variety of harmful ingredients identified, including things like ultrafine particles, heavy metals like lead, and cancer-causing chemicals, and flavors used in e-cigarettes, and flavoring used in e-cigarettes to give it a buttery flavor, diacetyl. And it's been related to severe respiratory illness. It's the same old thing. Yeah, but meanwhile, in California, the newspaper knows what's going on. I mean, this is shocking. And at the same time, these cannabis reporters from Leafly and Mary Jane and Marijuana Times were all reporting on the things that could be causing this. And they all had better ideas than the CDC. So we titled uh, today's show after we had our conversation this afternoon, Silent Scandal. Because literally, this is a scandal. We're, I'm personally, which my profile on Facebook is still banned. Now, we're going to be coming up to three weeks here shortly, a massive hit besides everything else going on. And that was as a result of our coverage of the CDC deception. And mm. we outright, you know, say the CDC has got blood on their hands. So, I mean. I sure do. I mean, this is not a secret. It's It's been going on in plain sight for two months now. Michael Siegel's been blogging about this almost every day for two months now, uh, telling the same story over and over and over again. It's just absolutely unacceptable. It's horrifying, and it, it, it needs to be, people's heads need to roll for this. This is craziness. How does that get achieved? Well, I have no idea. Yeah, as a true good reporter. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's, call the lawyers who are looking for vaping victims <laughs> and aim them toward the CDC. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time seeing how that would be accomplished unless some state, if a state got involved in it or, you know, some large organization big enough to pursue this. Uh, I don't see that there's going to be like a vape shop or a few vapors suing the CDC successfully. But. So so I'm going to do my job here then on, on the opinion side of RegWatch. And again, this will tweak you and a bunch of others. But why not? What the hell? Because I think it's important for people to understand 
who think that, and I'm not carrying water for the right, but when they're trying to understand why those on the right don't want to see a government take over 100% of health care in the United States, this should be a very, very, you know, enlightening thing that's happening here because they're not even health they're public health. And they so don't care about the impact of their decisions that they're willing, they're saying, we know, some, some of them are recommending that you go back to smoking because it'll be better for you. How can they say that when they well, know the truth, right? The, and so, so the, the companies that run the healthcare industry now, which is what you want, right? You want the free enterprise. I didn't say they're that. They're the ones who are driving this. Right. Okay, I guess. But I don't think the CDC is the health companies. And no, I'm talking about insurance companies, managed care, pharma companies. Those are the people who start this, pay for it, and advance it in a big way. So it's, you're saying you're saying them, like the HMOs, are behind the the vaping uh, bans? I'm not. I'm not naming the HMOs particularly. I'm just saying that all those groups work cooperatively to to promote smoking cessation programs and uh, other initiatives that. Uh, definitely affect vapors and their ability to vape. So fair enough. If, I mean, I think the argument here is being as if, you know, health insurance companies, I mean, they spend their life reducing their risk. And so that means telling people what to do or, or removing their insurance. That's just what insurance companies do. So regardless, and then, you know, corporations that are involved in the healthcare system are trying to reduce costs. So anything that's a risk, it's the same thing. They want to reduce that cost. So that's, you know, nobody's saying that the government shouldn't be strong and involved in healthcare. I'm just pointing out that government is 100% fallible. <laughs> real human oh, beings, sure, of real human beings can make decisions to kill people based on their choice of what's the right thing to do. Protect kids, kill adult smokers. I think that's the, I think that's, I don't think everybody at the CDC has that point of view. But I don't think the Office on Smoking and Health thinks twice about throwing smokers and ex-smokers under the bus in favor of their idea of pure children, right. pure unadulterated children. Pure unadulterated children. Do you want to know why that is? Why is that? Can I do it in 30 seconds? Impossible. Let's see, 45. Hmm. I don't know if I can. But, yeah. well, look. If you are, uh, if you are of the Rousseauian kind, you know Jean-Jacques Rousseau, and you believe all humans are born good, you also believe that the true, uh, the truest, purest virtue is in the young, right? In the newborn, really. Every 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 moment that a human being is alive, they become more corrupted. <laughs> so, and and culture and society does that, right? So. They need to keep the kids as pure as possible, right? Because it's with inside them that they can achieve virtue. Virtue is within the children. So, yeah. But anyhow, so, okay, so let's jump over to here because this is the next thing. And this was the NPR piece from this lot from the weekend, I guess it was. When did it come out? Oh, this is an awful article. Now, 
Okay, well, let me read a little bit of it, and then yeah. and, and then and then we'll find out why. So, behind the scenes of CDC's vaping investigation, this is NPR. When the first cases of vaping-related lung injuries came to the, by the way, they this let's not forget this, and we'll get there in a second when we get to the new name. But it was it was uh, vaping. It was just illnesses and vaping, right? Illnesses and lung lung illnesses and vaping, lung illnesses, e-cigarettes and vaping. Then it became uh, vaping related lung illness, vaping related lung illnesses, and it's been that now for some time. And then in the last couple of weeks, they knowing that it's not a disease, so it can't be an illness, and it really is a tainted product issue. But they've got they've got no. They've got, ah, uh, they're just, they're malevolent, these people. They were so, late to call it injury. Injuries is correct. Injuries is correct. And it changes, it changes the whole nature uh, of what this is. So they, they had been, they, they moved into that. So disease detectives, more accustomed to stopping foodborne illnesses or tracking the annual influenza cycle, realized that they need a unique approach to take on a health crisis that has so far sickened 1,604 and killed 34. All right, so basically the key things here I want to get at is what's, so how do you pronounce uh, Dr. Ann, is it Shuat? I believe it's Shushat, but I'm not sure. Right, Shushat, right. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's something like that. So given the scope and mysterious nature of the illness, the CDC set up an incident command center to coordinate its response. In mm -hmm. elevating an issue like this, Shushat, Shushat, Shushat says the CDC has directed about 140 scientists and other staff to step away from their normal work and give their full attention to the crisis. They are deploying epidemiologists, communications experts, and laboratory staff, and are disease detectives to work on this issue, which six months ago they were not focused on. The CDC uses this high-profile approach to take on major new outbreaks such as Zika, SARS, and the 2001 anthrax attacks. In, in fact, an incident team responding to the Ebola outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo is still at work at CDC headquarters inhabiting the main emergency response center. These people are bleep in the brain. They have the, the actual panic and hysteria is, is localized. Ground zero is at the CDC. They deployed their emergency response, their disease detectives who fight Ebola yeah. to this, SARS, influenza. Well, so when you send these kinds of people into the field, 140 of them, to investigate, well, you're going to get back a disease. You're going to get, you are going to have a disease response to a disease even if there isn't one there. And that's well, exactly I, what they wanted. I mean, they call them disease detectives, but they, they do investigate any kind of outbreak or epidemic, um, which could yeah, be- but if you're a car crash investigator and you get sent to a, to a train crash, you're going to be looking for the car the train hit. Yeah, when yeah, but I'm saying that they're, 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 they, this isn't necessarily 
because the, the other team works on Ebola doesn't mean that these people are looking for a disease. They, they would do the same thing if it was uh, a lettuce, romaine lettuce thing, you know. Well, a tainted product scare is, is something that's a bit different than Ebola. But if you go back to that article and go down a little bit, the woman who's actually running the team, uh, Dr. Dana Meany Delman, has a quote somewhere here that's good. We've uh -huh. narrowed this clearly to THC? Is that the yep. one? We've narrowed this clearly to THC-containing products that are associated with most patients who are experiencing lung injury. The specific substance or substances we have not identified yet, but even when we do, that's not necessarily going to help with public messaging. I don't understand that. I don't understand the second part of it at all. The first part of it I loved. Um, now go back to the, go down to the bottom paragraph in the article. So they've, they're admitting that it's THC-containing substances, right? Yeah. Go to the very last paragraph. And look what the author says. The suspicious vapes are not only risky, but hard to quit. What does that tell you? They're hard to quit. They're talking about nicotine again. They can't get away from it. The whole story is about THC-containing vape cartridges, and at the end of it, it's hard to quit. They just can't stop talking about nicotine, even when it's not about nicotine. Yeah, that's true. They can't help themselves. It's really, really awful. All right, so that was depressing. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me, let's just have a quick look here. I want to make sure that... Uh, we still have an audience. I sure hope we do because this has been enjoying for us. Um, I think maybe I've lost let's, my ability. Let's mention a couple things quickly. Sure, go ahead. Washington rally on November 9th. Right. Be there. It's at the Ellipse, which is a park right facing the south lawn of the White House. And, you know, we're really hoping that there are thousands and thousands of papers there to let the president know what we think because the president's office on management and budget is reviewing the FDA's proposed flavor ban right now as we speak. And it won't be real until the white house gives it back to the FDA and the white house could give it back to the FDA and say, forget this. We're not doing it like this. So now, what, what's really the chances, crucial. what's the chances of that? Well, I don't know. The Obama OMB took out the flavor ban the last time. So that's November 9th in Washington, D.C. Thousands of vapors are expected to be there. The rally will run from noon to 4 p.m. at the Ellipse, the 52-acre yeah. park, also known as President's Park South. It is just south of the White House South Fence and just north of the National Mall. I mean, this is this is... This is big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's going to be a very cool thing. Like Matt Cully says, if you don't go to this, you'll regret it because this is, you know, this is vaping history. This is, um, I, I can't think of a good equivalent for this actually in the world of vaping. It's really something that if you can possibly go, you should go. And this is definitely it. I actually, I'm just waiting to hear back from Matt. I was on his show a couple of weeks back, Tristan 
is definitely going to be on our show next Tuesday is the plan and with Matt and we're going to do a pre-rally show and uh, just talk about what's going to happen, what's going on, the issues, what they're hoping to achieve, that kind of thing. And then actually day of the show, we are planning to be live. We're going to need, we're trying to find a couple of vapors that uh, are good with their cell phone and want to be correspondents for us. And we'll mm. grab some live footage uh, and, you know, bring it back here into the studio and, and go live. So for those who can't make it, they can uh, tune into RugWatch. So I'll have more details on that when we sort that out. But for sure, next Tuesday, we'll be doing a piece. Um, you were mentioning uh, the president. What is your take on, on it? I'm just going to go back here to we prepared some slides. So there was a new pro vaping commercial, this piece that you did on October 17th. Now there's been this, another one since then. Right, right. So let's just play this because, you know, not everybody has seen all this stuff. So I got to make sure I switch over to the different one. Here we go. Okay. Well, hold on. Oh, there it is. You know, not everybody has seen all this stuff. So I gotta make sure I switch over to President Trump is keeping his promises. His new executive orders require government agencies follow the law. You know, not everybody has seen all this stuff. So I yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> I think yeah, they get the idea. Yeah, I had that working uh, a lot better a little while ago. That was that audio issue I was right before we went to air. Yeah. How come that's happening? And, you know, when things happen like that, things happen like that. So, I don't know. But, I mean, I think the president is getting pressure from his wife to ban flavors. That's what I think. Yeah, this is – that is the concern for me uh, because, yeah – that's I heard a very good rumor about this that I probably shouldn't repeat. But. It doesn't matter because that, I mean, I, I, I put my foot down on that one. I've heard that a thousand times. And it's always, well, there's this rumor. And, and then it's always the same thing. It's just like, oh, God, you know. The Baron got caught vaping. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to, you know what? That might just be easy for vapors to understand and feel good about it. But no, 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 it might not be that at all. It might just literally be that <clears throat> this is an ideological thing and she's captured by it, wants to protect him from that, right? You know, I mean, well, why it could very be. The, I mean, the, the point is, suddenly you've got this president who vowed to reduce regulation who's about to ban a product that will kill a $9 billion industry and it might just be because his son got caught vaping. Um, it might also be that his political people have made a conscious decision that he'll gain more voters by uh, appealing to suburban parents than he will lose by pissing off vapors. That's a pretty big. Uh, that's a pretty big gamble, because there's. I, I don't know. There's certain states where I, I, there's a poll by the VTA out yesterday talking about this, about an extremely high number of vapors polled said that they would vote against him just based on this issue. Yeah, I've so, got the poll up right there for you. Yeah. Um, if, if that's a fact, then he's probably toast if he bans 
flavors because there are states like my state, Michigan, he only won by 11,000 votes. There's 400,000 vapors here. I mean, the numbers just can't, I mean, the numbers are real and, and, yeah. and they're, and they're so large. Pennsylvania, that, he only won by 40,000 votes and there's even more vapors there than there are in Michigan. Florida, there are 900,000 vapors. Right. And I think he won by 100,000 votes. So the guy won by such tight margins in a lot of places the last time that it wouldn't take much to knock him off. And it doesn't take vote. You don't have to be a vapor who like voted for Trump. And now I'm going to vote for Liz Warren. Right. You just have to stay home. That's all you have to do. And I, you know, I'm not a necessarily a, a believer in the theory that vapors have incredible political power. But in this case, with those slim margins in these states that he has to win, he has to win Florida. He has to win Ohio. He has to win Pennsylvania. He has to win Michigan and Wisconsin to pull off the same thing he did last time. Right. You know, those are all states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, that haven't gone Republican in a while. He managed to get those states and he can't win without them. And if vapors were not there for him, I, I don't know. He's the wizard of the Electoral College, right? And that wizardry is gone uh, with this vaping issue because it, I, you just can't be a political observer and not realize that this particular issue could be a big problem for the president because it hits him on liberty, it hits him on business because we've got thousands and thousands of small businesses. It's yeah. gonna hit, it hits him on that. It hits him on regulation because he's the deregulating president, not the regulating president. So it hits him on that. And then he's siding with his enemies on everything else. The one thing about Trump that you can give, give him is he takes a look around and he sees all the people that are screaming and going crazy on issues. And he goes, well, what other issues are they screaming and going crazy over? And then he recognizes those and he puts them all together and he goes, okay, they're all the enemy. And then that's what he calls them. You know, that's a, every single one of his stump yeah. speeches and everything else. So how he's l looking at this whole thing and not seeing that across the table who he's working with to remove, remove, remove liberties, close down thousands of businesses, push people back to smoking, that the people he's in bed with on that are his arch enemies. Yeah. And that's like as somebody who is a Trump supporter right? It's maddening. Yeah, he's siding with Blumenthal and Durbin and Schumer and Schumer and, you know, keep going. It's insane. Uh, it's hilarious so, to me. But, well, on you know, your side, on your side is working out, <laughs> except for you're a vapor. See, that's the dissonance all you well, guys, you left these in the vaping The problem with being a vapor is you're going to get screwed by whoever happens to be around, I'm afraid. So, um, let me throw something at you with regard to Trump. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's a bunch of, you know, things and avenues. I think the Baron thing, I think that's a red herring. I think yeah. that's thrown out there to me, you know, because I, I think there's something uh, uh, ideological about that. It's a way of diminishing Trump. That well, his wife is best friends with the Truth Initiative all of a sudden. So well, that's, that's right. I, I'm not writing it off completely. But. No, 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 no. But here, let me throw out two things just to, to talk about Trump for a sec. One of them is that this has happened at a time that he has been in 
like economic warfare with China. And I wonder whether or not some of his advisors early on had said to him, because we're talking when this was happening in September, we're talking head to head. I mean, he's been head to head with the Chinese on economics now and tariffs and everything for, for two years. And so, and it's coming, it's been coming to a head here and it's still not resolved. Um, so, and then because or there's always been uh, tobacco controls always used China as an enemy, as a, as a demonized country when it, with regard to vaping. It's always been, since I've been in covering this mm. thing, been the e-liquid coming from China. That's evil shit, right? You can't, you know, that all the devices come from China, right? Yeah, the e-liquid all comes from here. That's, that's what the American industry is. So. I know that I understand that, but, but that's the point, though, is that there's still plenty of remnants of the China e-liquid uh, story that was i mean in canada it was the same thing is the e-liquid we don't know what's in it because it comes from china oh of course yeah, yeah right you know and then the thing is is that this thc uh issue is that some of that's coming from china right yeah the devices and the device yeah. the devices right and so at at this moment when when the president is in this huge pitched battle with china uh, and then, you know, this explode, the teen epidemic's been in there for a year, the flight, you know, and everything. And then his wife's now and everything else that could, I think that there is something to do with that so it plays a role in it. And it's something unreported because, Maybe. yeah, I, I mean, it, ha it has to be, there's no doubt that the, you know, because the concept of banning, uh, stuff would have to involve the conversation in terms of how do we stop it at the border? And so and they've been in conversations about stopping products from the border now for two years, because how do we get a control over China and and it's sending uh, product into the country? So it's definitely a part of it. The other thing, uh, if we had more resources, I, we'd report on that more because I definitely know there's something there. If anyone's listening in Washington, you know, from the Hill or something, that is definitely a good story. It's not page one or anything, but it's we'll just get it from Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other one that I wanted to mention about Trump was that undiscussed is that his brother died of alcohol. Trump is a lifelong anti-smoker, anti-drinker. Right. And he watched his brother die from alcohol. And you can yeah. bet he was smoking. Right. Yeah. So there's God. And then how many people did, did, has Trump known over the years being, you know, construction boss, developer guy. How many of the workers, because I've been saying to myself, doesn't Trump understand that it's his people, his construction worker people that smoke the most, hit the firefighters and the cops and all these years. And then I thought about it, I go, well, yeah, maybe he does know that. Maybe he has seen so many people die and get sick and COPD and all that kind of stuff. And then his brother, that he's just got such, he, that in his mind, it's just like, uh, maybe he's got that thing. Like, we just can't let anyone have any nicotine. I've seen what that happens, you know. And if he thinks in his mind nicotine is a gateway drug to, <clears throat> well, to alcohol, to everything else. I, who knows what's in his mind, but I, I can tell you this. If you don't know anything about this topic, and you're in Washington, and you look for somebody who knows about it to explain it to you, it's likely that the first person you meet is going to tell you the wrong thing. So I, I don't, 
there's two ways to explain vaping in in relation to smoking. One is that it's just like smoking or it leads to smoking. The other is it can help people get away from smoking. Um, I think the odds are that it was explained to him by somebody who takes the former position and not the latter. Um, probably Alex Azar or somebody from the Truth Initiative. By the way, the Truth Initiative connection with his wife, there's an earlier nexus with the Truth uh, Initiative at the White House that um, his advisor, Kellyanne Conway, who is running the White House response to the opioid epidemic, um, signed on to uh, an agreement with Truth Initiative to do work for the federal government on that. So Kellyanne Conway had connection to the Truth Initiative first, and she's also been present at those events with the Truth Initiative and Mrs. Trump. Yes, Truth. They are, they are a wonderful organization. Highly recommend <laughs> donating to them. They need the money. They don't have enough. Uh, they clearly don't have enough money. I think uh, it's funny that anybody would donate to them. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of. They have a billion dollars, in case you don't know. They have a billion dollar endowment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they get a lot of money each year. Yeah, and they're trying to, we need your help to achieve a tobacco-free generation. Okay, so as soon as they move into the cannabis one and start telling people, as soon as they move into the taking joints away from people, then I'll start to believe that they, they really care. Because <laughs> it's zero, it, it's impossible to say that nicotine harms developing brains and at the same time say that cannabis does not. Well, it's not, it's not impossible at all. You just don't talk about one of them. They already <laughs> fought that drug war. They're done with that one. So we're, we're getting to our last topics and I bring this up because of course, harm reduction is, you know, the issue for this side for on-site vaping. But it doesn't seem to be the issue at all for the other side. It's, you know, that's why they throw adult smokers and vapors under the bus. And they seem to completely, totally refuse to see it as a harm reduction issue. Yet so many of the same people have no problem seeing harm reduction when it comes to needles, opioids, uh, you know, and using cannabis, of course, um, as medicinal cannabis. Yeah, or also as harm reduction for opioid use. Right. Um, there, it's shocking um, and hard to explain, but um, so I don't want to be too public about this, but I was just talking to Ethan Nadelman, who is the founder of the Drug Policy Alliance and is getting involved in vaping in kind of a big way. And it's pretty exciting because this is the guy, if you don't know who Ethan Nadelman is, Google him. Um, who basically changed the course of, of the public view on cannabis over the, you know, the 90s and 2000s um, and basically totally turned around the public image of cannabis. Um, and he just did it by advocating harm reduction. And anyway, in any case, he's interested in vaping. He's getting involved in it. He's making some speeches about it. 
He's reaching out to vapors and to organizations. And um, he says that he's talked to a lot of his friends, his supporters who worked with him on cannabis, but who are anti-vaping, virulent anti-vaping people. One of them is Mark Leno, California state senator who led the war on vaping in that state. Um, and he asked them why they can't get behind this. And they say, it's the tobacco companies. We just can't ever trust the tobacco companies. Now, I think that's a disingenuous answer. I agree. Because they were opposed to vaping before the tobacco companies were ever involved. And, and frankly, the tobacco companies thought vaping was a joke for years. They only started buying into it when they, you know, and the, just in a small way. And then, you know, eventually they started to get kind of worried when Juul came along, they got really worried. So. Well, when it started taking real business away. Yeah. That's, that's when it happened. So, okay. So last uh, topic for us, I want to make sure that we don't miss this because in all of the different areas of what's going on, we also have uh, the nicotine tax bill. So we've got a bunch of stuff that's going on if federally um, in Congress. So walk us through that. We can start here with this. The nicotine uh, tax bill, which has just got out of committee in the House. Um, I'm not sure now if it's going to another committee or if it's going to a full House vote. But in any case, it, it's a absolutely bizarre tax um, that hasn't been seen on the state level before that I know of. It's a per milligram tax on nicotine. It's two point, I think, two point seven eight cents per milligram. Now I'll give you a good way to think about that. If you take uh, eighteen milligram per milliliter liquid or twenty milligram per milliliter liquid, that's three cents for every drop of liquid tax. Jeez, it's an incredibly high tax. If you're a DIYer, a liter of hundred milligram e-liquid has, uh, I don't remember the number offhand, I think it's like $2,700 tax. Yeah, I think it was 2800 I think you wrote. Yeah, something like that. 2800 It's an yeah, incredible number. And just on, you know, average, like 6, 12 milligram liquid, it's doubles or triples the price of some, of some liquids. It's an outrageous tax that would absolutely destroy the vape shops. So um, where, where are we with that then in the process? Is there, it, okay, it's come out of committee. What does yep. that mean? What does that well, mean? Again, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what the process is next. It's either going to another committee or it'll go to a vote in the full house. Um, another bill just got voted out of the full house yesterday. And that's the bill that bans um, shipping via the U United States Postal Service. And it also requires signature on delivery with apparently some other service because the post office won't be carrying it anymore. That's tough because in Canada, um, there's a pretty big pitched fight. Well, that's not quite the right word, but a disagreement amongst those in the industry and vapors uh, with regard to C-stores and advertising and just the whole yeah. footprint of big vape in the marketplace here. And it's really ripped a lot of people apart. But opponents to vaping, like they know so well, and what you're talking about is that they use things as wedge issues to divide 
Uh, and so a lot of, you know, okay, online sales, you know, some people start advocating yeah. for that. And that's not and, good. And the same thing with the nicotine limit. There are people who say, oh, yeah, we can go along with that. Nobody needs more, higher than 20 milligram. Well, I think some people do. And I don't, but that doesn't mean that the next guy doesn't. And I, I think the idea, and that bill is, uh, where are we with that one? It's the uh, end. It was, it was just introduced. It hasn't It hasn't even been heard in committee yet. So Yeah, and no, it's not from our links, uh, Jim. I just grabbed it from the news section on uh, yeah. Vaping360. And that's, again, let's remind everybody, Vaping360.com. That definitely... Uh, Definitely, it's been our, it's our resource here for everything tonight. So I like how they call it the they called it the end ends act. Wow. Good lord, unbelievable! Yeah, the balls that, on these people. That's um, by the way, that was introduced by the Illinois representative uh, Krishnamurthy, who is also the chairman of that subcommittee where they hit, they had um, a couple of hearings recently, including the one where the Jewel founder testified. World's right. worst, world's worst witness. Yeah. Well, I can. I. You know, I have to. I have to. Uh, on behalf of all of the viewers out there and readers and vapors that come across your work or don't even know about it, allow me to thank you for having to cover this every day, every minute, and to such an extent. It's God. I don't know how you do it. Well. I, I take a lot of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you know, hey, it's all right. Can it's I get okay. a little? Uh, can I get a little um, shout out here to Casa? By the way, sure. I'm, right. I'm a board member of Casa, and I don't usually talk about Casa and Vaping 360 together because one doesn't affect the other. Um, I, they're totally separate, and I anyway. But I am a board member of CASA. CASA does hard work to let vapors know when something is happening and when they need to respond to it. And, um, you know, if you can support CASA, that would be great. And they've got a email newsletter and stuff like that? They have a weekly uh, email that is like a roundup of the weekly events. And um, lots of resources on the website, although... They may not be so easy to find, but um, the the people who have been around CASA for a long time are people who have been involved with vaping since the very beginning. And in fact, the original CASA board were all people who were on ECF and met, you know, in a forum discussion. Um, these are old school vapors who know their stuff and know the law. There are a couple lawyers on the board. And you all know Alex Clark, who's the the CEO of CASA. Nobody nobody works harder on on vaping issues than Alex Clark does. Well, and I mean I agree. Uh, there's there's not enough great advocates out there that are you know there's plenty of people fighting for vaping. There's no doubt. Um, so on that note. Uh, We'll do a quick wrap here right now. Again, my last thing that I have to say is please go to support.regulatorwatch.com. We definitely could use your help. Join these great companies that have come on board in post. This is the post-apocalypse uh, version of our supporters. And uh, there's a lot we can do together. 
and we hope that you come on board. Plus, we've also just started our Facebook group, uh, which is for supporters only, where we can uh, chit-chat around and you can reach me directly with story ideas and stuff like that. So just head over to support.regulatorwatch.com and uh, sign up. So, Jam, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'll give you a last word here. Uh, it's uh, completely yours. Oh, I, I don't know what else to say. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, not so much thanks for dragging me down all these political rabbit holes. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really have anything in particular to tell people, but, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing. The excitement we've seen among vapors in the last couple of months since the White House announced their intention to ban flavors especially has been white hot. Um, everybody in the country is feeling it to the point where we're being accused of being bots on social media and stuff like that. Um, we're not bots, we're human beings and we need to keep telling politicians, in particular the president, that we're not gonna stand for a flavor ban or any kind of a ban. Um, so keep calling the White House and keep writing letters. Don't stop what you're doing. Well, that is it. Well, thank you very much, Jim. And thanks everybody out there. This is it for uh, RegWatch Live. If you can, please go to support.regulatorwatch.com. And before you head out, please like us on Facebook and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. And that's it from Vancouver. Vape them if you got them. <laughs>